so we're starting a uh, we're starting a series called Sing in Exaltation, and it's about Christmas songs. And today I'm going to teach on the Christmas song Joy to the World. Now that's a different version. Uh, Three Dog Night, 1970, Seattle. A DJ played that song on an alternative alternative radio station, and within one week it became a hit across the world, across the nation. Uh, another DJ picked it up and they started to play it. And uh, most of you could sing along with it if you're my age. I was 20 years old when that song was a number one hit on Billboard. And uh, uh, it's still played now and then. And uh, it's interesting. Three Dog Night didn't even like the song. It was the 13th song put on an album. And then it became a number one hit that gave definition to who they were. Now, the reason I started with that is because what was going on in your heart when you saw Three Dog Night on the screen in church and when you heard Jeremiah was a bullfrog, um, there's different things that can go on in your heart. Some of you could be like almost getting mad and going, I didn't come to church to three, see Three Dog Night. And some of you might have been inwardly smiling going, all right, this is one of my favorites. You had these kinds of responses. Well, here's what's interesting about the hymn, Joy to the World is the church in 1707 who first heard the lyrics had that same kind of response. The lyrics were written in 1707 by a guy named Isaac Watts. And what's amazing is he was paraphrasing Psalm 98 in a completely out-of-the-box way in this church, and um, people didn't like it. We stand at the end of our candlelight service on Christmas Eve for over 30 years, holding candles and singing joy to the world. And it's one of the most traditional songs we sing at Christmas. But when those lyrics were read in a church, people got mad because he was paraphrasing a psalm in a new and different way. And I'm going to like help you see how that worked Um, in our series coming up. We're going to cover Hark the Herald Angels Sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Go Tell It on the Mountain and O Holy Night. So each Sunday during December when you come, We're going to be sharing the history and the author and the musical score and how it all came together and how God is using these hymns now for decades and decades and decades um, and what we can learn about Christmas from them. So the lyrics were written in 1707 and was Isaac Watts' um, way of paraphrasing the uh, scripture. So let me begin by reading the scripture to you. And we have it on the you can open your Bibles or we have it on the screen. Uh, Psalm 98, beginning with verse 4. Listen. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy to the Lord, the King. Some of our musicians said, Dave, be sure to emphasize, shout for joy. The loud ram's horns. You know, um, there's supposed to be jubilation in our music. There's supposed to be. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That's the psalm that Isaac Watts was paraphrasing when he wrote the lyrics to Joy to the World. Interesting. Now, What Isaac Watts wanted to do was he wanted to take these words of Scripture and make them come alive and make them sticky into the hearts of people. 
He wanted people to carry him out of the church, not to be just these words, but he wanted to add some paraphrased words that would make them sticky. Now, Isaac Watts was not a part of the Church of England in 1707. There was a a mainline church, uh, Church of England, and um, everybody who was anybody went to the Church of England, and it was liturgical and it was high church. But Isaac Watts and his dad and his family went to a nonconformist little chapel we would call today a Puritan church. And because of this nonconformist attitude that Isaac Watts had, uh, it could almost be like going to church in a theater. I mean, he was outside the norm. And um, because of that, even though he was qualified, he could not go to the University of Cambridge or the University of Oxford because only people who were in the mainline church could go to those schools at that time. So he had to go to a lesser university. And in fact, because his dad had some of these Puritan beliefs that we would say are true today, his dad was put in prison twice uh, in England for those beliefs. So let me read to you. I want you to uh, multitask with me here. I'm going to put some words from Psalm 98 on the screen, and then I'm going to read the words that Isaac Watts paraphrased from the verses of his hymn. So uh, we'll put up the first words. These words are from Psalm 98, and here's his paraphrase. So read the words, listen to the words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. We sing that every Christmas. And leave those same words, and then we'll do joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat their sounding joy, repeat their sounding joy, repeat their sounding joy. Now let's go to later words, the next slide. This is verse 3 of Joy to the World, and it's interesting. Many churches don't sing verse 3 anymore. And in fact, our musicians called me this week and said, Dave, we don't sing verse 3 anymore. (laughs) And I said, well, we're going to this year. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love, wonders of his love, wonders of his love. More than a 100 years. So we've got this guy writing this poem, these lyrics, who's outside the box. And the Church of England doesn't like the direction he's taking scripture. And uh, uh, and then as a 22-year-old pastor in a chapel, he brings these words and eventually they become accepted. Now, it's 100 years later, after the lyrics are written, in 1839, that a guy named Lowell Mason in the United States, and Lowell Mason is now called the founder of music education in America. I asked my son, who's a music educator, and he goes, oh, yeah, Dad, we know about Lowell Mason. He wrote tunes of hundreds of hymns. For instance, when I survey the wondrous cross, my faith looks up to thee. And a little school song that you might know, Mary Had a Little Lamb. He wrote the music for those. And he wrote some music and he went looking for some lyrics. And this is 1839. And he put the two together. 
And what's amazing to me is what we know as joy to the world today. And what's amazing to me is that both Isaac Watts and Lowell Mason were outside the box of church music. Lowell Music's term, uh, 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 musical scores, the church didn't accept. And he was simply trying to make something, a smile on your face, uh, like some energy in your step. He was trying to bring some life to the church and the church wouldn't accept his music. And a hundred years before that, Isaac Watts was trying to put some life into lyrics and the church wouldn't accept it. And now you and I call it tradition. It's just amazing to me how God uses outside the box um, people to move his church forward. Now, here's another amazing part. Neither Isaac Watts nor Lowell Mason ever dreamed that Joy to the World would be a Christmas song. Never. It was a hymn written for all seasons. And it wasn't based on the gospel. It doesn't have anything about the story of Jesus in the manger. Nothing. They, When he wrote the lyrics, it wasn't about Christmas. When they wrote the, the tune, it wasn't about Christmas. When Lowell Mason put them together, it wasn't about Christmas. And then one night on Christmas Eve in the early 1900s, it said, I couldn't, I couldn't for sure get this as fact, a pastor in a western state brought that song to Christmas Eve. And from then on, it was a Christmas song. Joy to the world. Isn't that interesting? That um, God uses outside-the-box people to create a top music hymn. A&E, the channel A&E, did a deal in 2011 asking Americans what was their favorite Christmas hymn. And Joy to the World uh, was on the top of the chart. Now, I don't know about you, but um, we sang, we, as we were raising our kids and now as we're raising our grandkids, we sang Christmas songs. And I, I don't know. We're not a big singing family. I can't carry a tune. Um, my sixth grade music teacher said, you know, you ought to find something else to do. Um, true story. Uh, uh, couldn't you do rustling or something? I don't know. Uh, but we still sing at Christmas time. And uh, with our kids, we always had these uh, traditions that we couldn't crowd Thanksgiving out with Christmas. So you couldn't sing any Christmas songs or do any Christmas things until midnight on Thanksgiving night. And so as our kids grew up, they would run into our bedroom at midnight on, on Thanksgiving night. And we would draw secret Santa names and we would sing our first Christmas song right there in the bedroom at midnight. And then we'd go back to sleep. Uh, and uh, now when our grandkids come, we have 11 grandkids. And when they come for Christmas and they're with us two nights, we light the candles and we light the tree. And then we go around one by one and sing whatever Christmas song that grandchild wants to sing. And there's some weird Christmas songs that they want to sing. And it's just a beautiful time. And one of the things we have to understand about music is it's an international language. There are two languages right now in the world that cross all barriers. One is sports and one is music. And these two languages are the languages of the world. And so God used Isaac Watts in 1707, and Lowell Mason in 1839. And this pastor who brought it into Christmas Eve, who we don't even know who it was, to make, and God's Spirit then uses joy to the world to touch our hearts. And one of the songs, my 11 grandkids and us and our kids will be singing in the dark in front of the tree, is joy to the world. Power in music. Uh, the reason I chose joy to the world too 
is because one of my life themes is highlighted in this uh, song. And my life theme, one of my life themes, is that you can always, as a follower of Jesus, you can always choose joy. That because of the manger and the cross and the empty tomb, you can always push a pause button, think and pray, let the Spirit of God within you do something, and you can always choose joy. You can choose joy at, in, in a hospital room, and I've seen it. You can choose joy at hospice, and I've personally experienced it through some of our members. You can choose joy at the graveside of a loved one. You can choose joy at the sideline of a sporting event, whether you're winning or losing, defeat or victory. You can choose joy. Why? You can choose joy because Jesus sent his son to a manger. God sent his son to a manger. He died on a cross for us and he left the tomb. You and I, we don't have to let our circumstances rule us. As human beings who are Christ followers, we can overcome. That's one of my one of my um, lifetime uh, really themes. Luke uh, two ten, we have a slide. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Yes, He is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news of great joy." Now, Isaac Watts, the guy who wrote the lyrics, he actually did that in his life. Let me tell you a story about him. Isaac Watts did this. He experienced joy even though he knew deep disappointment in his life. And here's the disappointment he knew. Watts' music so inspired a woman in England, and her name was Elizabeth Singer, that she wrote to Watts and said, Hey, Isaac, I'm your number one fan. And they started writing by mail, you know, uh, Hard mail. They didn't have email in those days. Hard mail. And they began to correspond and they fell in love through the mail, even though they'd never met each other. And Elizabeth Singer proposed in a letter to Isaac Watts' marriage. And he accepted. And Watts accepted because of his deep love he had grown in his heart for Elizabeth. And so she anxiously raced to his side. But when she saw him, She was so disappointed by his appearance that she turned around and went home and would not marry him. And we say guys are shallow. (laughs) She wrote this. He was only five foot tall with a shallow face, a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. Unable to see the brilliance behind the appearance, Singer went back home with no intent and refused to marry him. Watts was heartbroken, but he chose joy. And he poured himself into his writing, never to again seek the companionship of a woman. He wrote 60 books and 700 hymns. Interesting, isn't it? That the man who wrote the words, Joy to the World, lived with loneliness disappointment, and physical disadvantage. But he knew how to pause and make lemonade out of lemon. He knew how to pause and find joy in life, even though things weren't going the way he wanted it to go. You and I can choose joy. 
you and I can. Uh, I want to take it verse by verse for a minute to um, help you see where he was going from Psalm 98. So verse 1, there is joy when the king is received. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. There's joy when the king's received in a heart and a life. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. When Jesus is invited into a life, there's joy. That's why I like to be around newly converted people to Jesus. I just love being around newer Christians. Because why? Their life is so marked by joy. And those of us who've been following Christ for a long time, sometimes we go, ah, yeah. And they're marked by joy. One time, an all-state singer who was a senior at the high school where I was doing a youth group, uh, became a Christian. And three or four weeks later, she came to youth group and she said, uh, Dave, I found this most amazing song. It's like unbelievable. Could I sing it for the youth group tonight? And this is a new Christian. Just invited Jesus into her heart as king. And I said, well, I, I guess so. So she got her guitar. She sat on a stool up front. She started to play in this senior in high school, all state music. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. She had never heard the song. And she heard it. And in great joy, she said, this is awesome. This is awesome. You see, we get to be, uh, when we receive the king, there's joy. I don't know if you can remember your conversion. I don't know if you can remember when you, when you first gave your heart to Christ. C.S. Lewis who was an agnostic, an atheist in, in England, and for a long time he studied, and then all of a sudden he gave his heart to Jesus. Uh, he never expected there to be joy at his conversion. And one of his first books he wrote was Surprised by Joy. There's joy when we receive Christ as king. Um, there's joy. Number two, there's joy when the Savior reigns. Here's the words. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. Receiving Christ as king and letting him reign in your life uh, as uh, say, as um, Lord uh, are two different things. You know, in the traditional church, we always said, you must come to Christ as Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior, which basically means as rescuer and as leader of life. We've just finished a series on four weeks on, um, um, you know, being generous. And one of the messages of that series was we need to let God reign in our finances. And when we let him reign in our finances, we'll have peace and joy. And when I taught in that series, I talked about forgiveness. It's like let him reign in how you forgive people. And when you let him reign in how you forgive people, you experience joy and peace. And if you only operate as a human being and what's natural to us in our sin, you're not going to have that kinds of joy and peace. So wherever God's uh, will reigns, that's the kingdom of God. And it's best to describe that way. So the kingdom of God comes in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Where does that come? It comes wherever we're obedient and doing what God wants. So I was thinking about this. The Christmas store coming up that Jen was talking about. I was there at the Grundy Christmas store last last year. And I walked in and I thought, God's kingdom is reigning here this morning. And you know why I thought that? 
because his will was being done, and some of these financially under-resourced parents were getting to choose and wrap gifts to put under their tree. And like God, you cannot read the Bible without understanding God's heart for the poor. And so when I walked in, and they're like getting uh, honored and respected and given breakfast, and then they're waiting in line to get their gifts, and then after their gifts, someone's volunteering to pray for them, with them. I thought, wow, God's kingdom is reigning here. But then I thought, in the hearts and eyes of volunteers. I thought, wow. I got to volunteer both. And I actually was at both stores last year on a Saturday morning. The one in Walnut neighborhood, Waterloo, and the one here. And I watched the volunteers in both, and they had joy. Several of them came up to me and said, this is my favorite part of Christmas, right here. God's kingdom reigns. And then I thought about our donors. I mean, you know, I buy my grandkids Christmas gifts, obviously. Lynn and I do. Well, Lynn buys them all. I just, like, sign off on them a little bit. Sometimes I don't even know what they are. Um, but we do that, right? But then this, we can also give our money to see that God's kingdom reigns in this other way. And so I just encourage you. I think that's, we have a cup of cold water fund. That's a place where, uh, especially single parents or people who are struggling, can call and get some help, right? And so a lot of times we're helping single moms. In the last 10 days, a single mom called who's a neighbor of one of our folks and had been referred to me. And she said, I have my kids in a safe house and um, we've been uh, hiding from, protected from an abusive husband who's been violent. And now we've saved money and we can go live in this apartment and I'm working and all this. She said, all we need is money for a deposit. And because of generosity of this church, I was able to say, we can cover that this morning. And like God's kingdom reigned right there. It rained. A new neighbor moves into your neighborhood and you go next door. And as a friendly neighbor, welcome them. God's kingdom reigns. And so there's joy when the Savior reigns and we operate uh, the way that uh, God wants us to operate. And when we do it in our marriage and we become servant leaders, his kingdom reigns. And when we do it with our children, his kingdom reigns. Number three, verse three. There is joy when the sinner repents. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is that verse that the church hasn't been singing as much lately and we're going to be singing. and once in a while, people will say, you know, Orchard isn't too big on sin. You know, we don't hear a lot of sin messages at Orchard. Well, um, here's a piece. Sin promises happiness, but delivers sorrow and brokenness and death. Sin always looks good, and it never delivers. And it started in the Garden of Eden. Right? Satan said to Adam and Eve, hey, that fruit tree over there, Just take a bite and you will, things will go your way and you'll be as smart as God. And they believed Satan and they did it. And what happened? When they ate that delicious looking fruit. According to the Bible, they felt guilt and shame. They hid from God. They were alienated from God. They were escorted from the garden, never to return. They began to die. They were cursed. Women... Remember this, the curse of God. Women, you will now have pain in childbearing. Your husband will rule over you. 
Men, you will find work difficult, nature uncooperative, and you will work by the sweat of your brow. That is the curse. They believed that their disobedience looked good and would have a good outcome. And what happened? It cost them and generations to come, including you and me and our children. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief, the liar, the deceiver comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sin always promises but can never deliver. Right? So uh, uh, several of our church members were affected by Russell Wassendorf's um, financial collapse. And, you know, this is a couple years ago. When at PFC Best Commodities, beginning with one mistake, when he still lived in Chicago, he swindled people out of $200 million. And he sits in a jail cell and his son has dis, dis, totally disowned his dad. What promised as relief when you live it out for a long time becomes pain. Right now we're seeing David Roth, uh, uh, an attorney from Waterloo who took his life weeks back. He was in my brother's church in Hudson. And again, beginning with one small sin, began the downward spiral of taking people's money and living off of it. And you and I, we see it in our lives. Our marriage gets a little tough and we start to look somewhere else and we start to push away and our world is full of divorce caused by this, right? So sin promises a lot and sometimes it's just get away from pain but it does not deliver. Verse 4. There is joy when God's truth rules with grace. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes his nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. God is a God of truth and a God of grace. And as a church and as a people and as a family, we try to bring those two things together. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. Jesus said to the woman at the well, one day you will worship me in truth and grace. So this Christmas season, uh, let me remind you of the, of the slide that came from the Christmas story. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. So this Christmas season, as we sing joy to the world, I hope you'll think, wow, Isaac Watts, he was out of the box. Lowell Mason, he was out of the box. Wow, the Spirit of God uses people outside the box to build his church. And I hope you'll remember that as humans, we can push a pause button and choose joy in the power of Christ in all situations. Okay, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll sing. I think we're going to sing Joy to the World which will be cool, and it's the one the church knows. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for uh, the hymn, Joy to the World, for men like Isaac Watts, Lowell Mason, 
who heard your voice, who followed you outside the box, who uh, uh, joined together to give us a song that uh, helps us and encourages us and strengthens us. And Father, I pray that we would live that way and that we would choose joy in all circumstances. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.